On Macquarie Radio NTS, this is What's Cooking with Merida Conway, bringing you a tasty assortment of all things food and wine. Hello, hello, and welcome to What's Cooking. On today's show, we're going to be having a chat to Alastair McCausland from Fonterra, the marketing manager, having a chat to us about the Proud to be a Chef program. Very excited about that. Also, Nikolai St. George, who's the winemaker at Geese and Wines, talking to us about Frosé and Rosé. It's a thing. And Jai Cochran will be chatting to us from the Lake House at Dalesford. He's an apprentice there and he's also been lucky enough to secure a spot in the Fonterra Proud to be a Chef program. And we'll be having a chat to one of my favourite legends in the industry, Neil Mitchell from 3AW Mornings, and also answering your curly questions with Chef Ian Curley. Guess who's coming to dinner with Nerida Conway. And welcome back to What's Cooking. Now, I've got a little exciting update for you all. We're going to be chatting to Alistair McCausland from Fonterra, marketing manager. How are you? I'm very good, Nerida. How are you? I'm good, thank you. You've ridden your bike in here today. That's very um, exercisey of you. Well, loving food as much as I do, you've got to uh, always find a little bit of time to get the exercise so you Especially can Especially cheese. Yeah, exactly. You Those know? good indulgences at this time of year. Oh, yeah, I bet. Just in case uh, our listeners haven't heard the other episodes, we've run about this. Um, Fonterra run an amazing program called Proud to be a Chef and it's a big investment. It's completely altruistic and it's really offering an amazing opportunity to 32 fantastic would-be chefs. Now, they all have to be apprentices anyway, but they come from absolutely all over the country. Anyone's welcome to apply. I, I mean, I don't even understand how you'd go about choosing and whittling it down because you just want to give everyone an opportunity, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's a really, really difficult challenge for us. So you mentioned 32. Mm. This year we were absolutely blown away with the response, so much so that we've actually had to settle on 34 really? lucky apprentices. Really? So, That's exciting. Yeah, it's been a really um, a big sort of couple of months as we sort of pulled them all together. So we had... This year was the most successful in terms of the calibre of uh, restaurants and apprentices that were wow. applying. Uh, and then we had a, wasn't just me doing the judging, we relied on a panel that was led by our consultant chef, Peter Wright, mm. um, the Australian Culinary Federation and a few from our end. And I, I guess what we were really keen to do is make sure that we weren't just picking the people that you would expect. So yeah, right. we looked at obviously all the recipes, how original they were, but also looking at where people came from. We love the mm. fact that we can extend into the regional areas. Um, so we're as far away as sort of regional WA and northern Queensland, wow. all the way through to the the big, um, well-known establishments such as Melbourne with Crown Casino and Star City and, and the bigger mm. establishments. Oh, that's so exciting. We're going to be having a little chat later on to one of the uh, apprentices, Jar Cockram, who was chosen, who's actually an apprentice at the Lake House in Dalesford in Victoria, uh, about that experience. But just take me through what happened. I mean, I'm, I'm picturing Australian Idol where mm. they kind of – give them the call and say, guess what? So how does it work? So the way that it works, we, we do it in a kitchen. Mm-hmm. So we need to start thinking in that space. And um, the panel do a lot of work to go from the 100 or so that we had down to the top 50. Yeah. Um, and then as I say, we've got the four main metrics that we look at. So in terms of how has the apprentice shown their overall vision of where they want to get to? Mm-hmm. What's the recipe look like? Is it creative? Obviously, is it using one of our uh, delicious ingredients? Mm. Um, and then where they come from around the country. And then finally, how have they sort of um, applied that overall piece? Have they got it in early on mm. time? Um, Are they professional? Or do they seem like they've kind of got a bit of an act? 
Correct. And yeah. so then we get to about the, the top 20 pretty easily. Okay. Um, and then, as I say, we were working to 32, but it does get to one of those difficult situations of we want to make sure we give everyone the opportunity. Wow, that's awesome. And, uh, and probably also one of the great things this year was being able to see some of the apprentices that came in from some of our dairy farming areas. So really? one of the apprentices who works down at the, uh, the Warrigal Country Club, only a couple of k's away from one of our production sites down in Darnham. So it's, um, it's always good when we can see young apprentices who are coming through yeah. and they're sort of fun, Fonterra people. Yeah. Um, so it's good to sort of get that balance. So yeah, getting to 20 is easy. 32 mm. was hard. So we had to go to 34. So Wow, that's exciting. Really excited to um, let all those apprentices and know. And how do you know? How do you let them know? The uh, Most of the apprentices were pretty eager and they'd be calling up and emailing to say, Really? Oh, okay. Have you got my application? Am Which I going to get through? another good sign because they're proactive. Correct. And that's yeah. what we love. So, um, And then through some of our chefs, we actually let them do the good news where they uh, they call up and, and let them know that they're on their way to Melbourne in Feb. How exciting. Do you call it a golden ticket? It's pretty much a golden ticket. <laughs> and um, when you talk to Jai, he might tell you some more that we actually surprised him. We organised to go up to the lake house. We got one of our chefs, Liam. We put a GoPro on him and had a, a, a secret filming and um, stormed into the kitchen and, and let Jai know that he was presented him with his, his whites and his apron and told him oh, he was coming. So he'd be so – oh, that, that's yeah, really exciting. I think, uh, I think he thought he was getting punked until he realised that we were serious. <laughs> that's a really mean joke. <laughs> and so what happens from here with them? So now what we do, it's um, mm-hmm. logistics, booking hotels and flights. And I think, as we said last time, a lot of these apprentices have never even jumped on a plane and come yes. down to Melbourne. So, Deb, Where's the furthest one coming from? Uh, you said regional WA, but whereabouts is that? Uh, we've got someone coming down from Noosa, and then we've got some more, uh, I think, up near the Joondalup area in WA. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah, all over the place. So making sure we've got all their, the travel bookings confirmed, um, and then working to lock away all the venues, as well as the actual syllabus that we're doing over the four days. So Now, just for our listeners, could you recap, please, and just let them know what the syllabus is because it's amazing. Yeah, it's a great four days. So the first night will be uh, at Mateo's yep. um, and one of the MasterChefs, Buddha, and Mateo will be doing a bit of an introduction, getting everyone to know each other. Then we go into three days of ultimate culinary experience. We go mm-hmm. to the seafood market uh, here in Victoria. We're at William Anglis in their uh, culinary centre. We're learning about dairy. We're doing masterclass cook-ups. Mm. We've got all of our chefs coming in. And the final gala dinner will mm-hmm. be held at the RACV Club in the city where we award the winners and, and all the prize getters over the, the four days as well. So exciting. And then what happens to them from there once they then go back to their lives? Yeah, the best thing I think is that when they go back to their kitchens, mm. they're actually part of something bigger. They're part of the, the Proud to Be a Chef alumni. And, um, you know, that's a it's a great group, everyone from a George Columbaris to, to Buddha and Scott Pickett. Scott Pickett. Yeah. They're all part of it. And, and the great thing is we see that they continue to connect um, and stay in touch over social media and the like. Mm. And then for our winner, they will get their $7,000 culinary scholarship. So That's they can amazing. jump on a plane and go off and work in some of the best kitchens in the world, um, as well as the other prize winners. So we have a, a best suite, a best savory, a best sort of team player, and they'll get their prizes. But I think the best thing is that everyone else 
uh, they get back into the kitchen mm. and they come back and they're walking a bit taller. They're, they're more oh, confident yes. with the skills they've got. It probably also opens their eyes as to what they want to do. Like I think when you're starting off in any, you know, in any job for the first time, let alone an apprenticeship, you're sort of just doing the general basics and you're not really sure where you see yourself. But, you know, this might really ignite a passion in some of them for, oh, I want to cook sweets or I want to definitely do savoury or I want to work with that guy. Yep, exactly. We've um, had a number of apprentices that have actually quit their jobs when they went back, which we often thought that's not a good thing, <laughs> but they've quit to come to a Melbourne or a Sydney because they want to work in uh, yeah. a five-star dining or they want to get out of the country pub and they want to go and become a patisserie. All right. So uh, if anyone wants to find out about the program, obviously it's it's finished and wrap, wrapping up for this year, 2016, but 2017-18 program, uh, how do people get in touch? So the best way is they can head to uh, probably our Facebook page, which mm-hmm. is Fonterra Proud to be a Chef. You can see that video I mentioned of Jai, as well as staying in touch with all the, uh, the journey over the next couple of months, uh, as well as you can go to uh, the website of proudtobeachef.com. Fantastic. Thanks, Alistair, for coming in. Thanks, Nerida. This has been Alistair McCausland from Fonterra Marketing Manager talking about Proud to be a Chef. You're listening to What's Cooking. You're listening to What's Cooking with Nerida Conway on NTS. And thanks for listening. And I'm chatting all the way over in our beautiful New Zealand with our close neighbours uh, to Nikolai St. George from Geese and Wines, the winemaker there. How are you? Yeah, great, Nerida. How are you? The, the sun's shining here, so, uh, so we're doing well. All right. Well, it's not shining here in Melbourne, so you're one step <laughs> ahead. Uh, now, Nikolai St. George is a very fancy name. Is that really your name? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yes. Where's it from? Uh, look, St. George. I think that... Um, I think that uh, Nikolai is probably, probably my, my mum, probably when she was pregnant, read far too many Russian novels. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Well, it's very <laughs> fancy anyway. Now, you're the winemaker at Geese and Wines. Yes, that's right. Tell me, what goes into day in the life of the winemaker of such a well-known brand? Look, winemaking is never as glamorous, glamorous as what you'd think, but what I like about the winemaking side of it is, is it has, it's quite diverse. So um, during this time of year especially, you know, uh, for you know, half the day you might be in the vineyard uh, mm. looking vines, and then and part of it you might be in the winery tasting wines, blending wines, and then you know other part of it is of course stuck to the computer. But you know that diversity is quite good, and so that's probably why I was drawn to the winemaking side of things. Now there's a new thing called frosé at the moment. I know, I, I do hear that. It has, <laughs> it has reached New Zealand. Well, I uh, it reached my lips last week in Port Douglas by the pool oh, bar. Right. <laughs> yeah, and geese and rosé, I love. I've got to say. So, explain to our listeners what frosé is. Following on from rosé, look, yeah, look, it is a little, a little bit a uh, fun thing, rosé. So, of course, you know, everyone understands rosé. Rosé has been hugely popular the past, you know, three years. It's at, made at a big comeback, least. hasn't it? Mm. It has. It has, a, and it, it's made a huge comeback. And it has been around for a long time. And in hot countries, if you go over there, like in France and Provence, that it's such a big thing. And such a, a normal thing to have, but you know, in Australia, New Zealand, it's very up and down. And but now we're we're seem to be doing really well in rosés, and um, and now New Zealand and Geeson's producing some great rosés. This rosé is out of Merlot. Mm-hmm. Merlot, it's almost like a Provence wine. Like Grenache is, is what it's usually made out of. But Merlot has a lot of similarities. Merlot is quite sort of red fruit dominant, um, has low tannin, so mm, bit softer. really light style anyway. And um, to make it into a rosé, which is basically less 
you know, less skin contact, mm. um, you've already got this this really aromatic style of wine and um, great for summer occasions. So I guess that's morphed into Frosé and Frosé around the world is I think just people have been a bit more creative. Mm-hmm. It's fun and it's just a just a light way to uh, It's like a frozen rosé cocktail, isn't it really? Yeah, it's like a frozen rosé cocktail, but there's lots of other things in there, you know. Some people put types of um, cordials in it, uh, fresh herbs infused, um, um, you know, herbs like mint and, and uh, thyme. And so, you know, you, you can do anything with you want. There's no, no real rules as mm. such. So, Nikolai, give us your favourite recipe for frosé. Look, I haven't done too many recipes, but they've got one in New Zealand that's going well, and uh, that's the, the Barker's rhubarb and uh, rose hip. So, you know, you've got all those some similar aromas to Merlot, that yeah. lovely red fruit, and then the, the rhubarb complements that well. And then, of course, the rose hip, you're getting... Lovely sort of floral aromatics, but also you're getting a lovely zing to the wine as well. So, you know, it's it's uh, you can do anything with with rosé and just have rosé as the base. It's just about sort of making something fun um, that that gets people interested and uh, fun for summer as well. Well, you know, I, I think uh, it should be sort of sold by the vat because it's just yeah. so easy to drink. In fact, I've got to say, the problem with it is that it's so easy to drink and so, um, oh, it doesn't really taste alcoholy or whiny, you know, especially when your 12-year-old daughter walks past and goes, oh, can I have some of your pink Slurpee and has a big swig? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's mummy's <laughs> special Slurpee. Step away. <laughs> especially in Port Douglas or somewhere like that. Where Absolutely. It's just, you know, hot all year round. It's a perfect accompaniment. Yes. Now, you don't really get too, too hot over there in uh, New Zealand, do you? No, it's pretty up and down New Zealand. You know, we have four seasons in a day. But mm, Talk to me. We're in up. Melbourne. <laughs> we understand. Yeah, it's quite similar. <laughs> mm. uh, so what's the hottest of temperature that it might reach to in summer? Look, uh, in where I am in Blenheim, we actually get quite warm. So we'll probably get about 35 in the summer. Wow, so it's quite, okay. quite dry. So there is a lot of similarities between some places within Australia. It's a, it's a great place to visit as well. Okay. And what's, I know that this is a tricky question because it depends on the day and so many variants. But if you had to go, and it's probably a little bit early in the day to be discussing this anyway, but if you had to just go to the fridge and just say it is one of your hotter days and pull out uh, a bottle to share with a friend, mm-hmm. what would it yeah. be? From variety wine, look, look for me, Chardonnays. There's so many good Chardonnays around, and it can depend on the the day. You can get different type of Chardonnay to fit the day. You know? So I oh, like I love a light, refreshing style of Chardonnay, still with oak, but where everything's in balance. Um, so for me, that's definitely my my go to wine, um, summer and winter, really, um, mm-hmm. for, especially for white. Now, and I agree with you. I've always been a Chardonnay girl, and I always will. Uh, when you go to parties as a winemaker. Are you expected to take your own wine? Yeah, it always depends. When, when with friends, mm. uh, I think you know we always bring something out. But when we're when we're out and um, and no one knows you, I think it's about promoting your wine and, yeah. and showing people what you're doing as well. Because it, it always is such an interesting, you know, um, discussion when you can say, "Look, how I brought the brothers Chardonnay," and um, look, it's it's done really well, and um, you want to try it. I am so, so glad we got to chat to you today, Nikolai. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to tell us all about your beautiful range of wines, but also specifically your rosés and frosés, which are going to be, I think, going off tap this summer. Yeah, thanks, Narita. And uh, look, um, I I was 
looking around to where our, our rosé has been sold and um, I come across one of the one site and it's uh, Ben and Jerry's Open Air Cinema. So oh, I what a fantastic a, a thing. Place for it. Oh, yeah. yes. That's... So who knows? They might be doing rosé, a rosé there as well. Oh, I hope they do. That's such a great idea. What a beautiful – that just ties in so beautifully with the, you know, the brand when I think about yeah. Gears and Wines and, and you that's know, right. that's beautiful. All right. Well, thank you and have a wonderful festive season. Yeah, you too. And, and uh, uh, we look yeah, forward to America. seeing you in Melbourne at some point. Thank you very much, Marita. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks. Nicola. This has been Nicolai St. George from Geese and Wines, winemaker in New Zealand. You're listening to What's Cooking. Guess who's coming to dinner with Nerida Conway. And thanks for listening to What's Cooking. I'm Nerida Conway and I'm chatting down the line to Jai Cockram, who is an apprentice chef at the Lake House at Dalesford in Victoria. How are you, Jai? I'm good, thank you. Yourself? I'm excellent, thank you. Now, um, you... You're a very special kind of a person, I think, because I've heard a little bit about your story in terms of how you, uh, you know, got your job there working at the Lake House with Alla Wolf Tasker, yeah. who's just a bit of a legend in the industry. Uh, yeah, and I guess persistence really was the key for you. Yes, uh, definitely. I had to push really hard for this job, and it's uh, yeah, it's come through in the end. Because Alla was saying that she didn't take uh, that, you know, they, they were sick of being burned by apprentices, and they kind of weren't going to go down that path. Um, and you just kind of said, no, but I'm different. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, a lot of phone calls and a lot of emails. Oh, and how old are you, Jai? I'm 19. See, I think for a 19-year-old, to show that kind of gumption is quite extraordinary. Yeah, um, now, you also entered the Fonterra Proud to be a Chef program, didn't you, recently? Yes, yes. And why did you do that? Uh, I wanted to increase on my knowledge and experience. Mm-hmm. Um, just basically come out of the program, yeah, like with a large plethora of skills. Yes. Learning what I've already got, learn from master chefs, learn off them entirely, and yeah, pretty much that. Okay. So, what recipe did you send in? Because it's a bit of a competition where you, you need to, it's not a competition, but to be accepted into the program, you need to send in an original recipe uh, yes. along with some, you know, all kinds of other bits and pieces about yourself. So, what did you send in? I sent in my uh, recipe, raspberry, lychee, and panna cotta. Oh, yum. It's a a sweet dessert. Set it in a martini glass. It's beautiful. But it doesn't sound sickly sickly sweet, given that it's got lychees. No, uh, I turn the lychee into a spuma with sugar and cream. Mm, Um, Yum. It it all balances out on itself between sweetness and, yeah, it's beautiful. Wow. See, when I was your age, I was just talking about kind of eating burgers and stuff. I wasn't actually (laughs) trying to cook fancy panna cotta. Even now I could struggle to cook to make a panna cotta. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so how did you find out that you have been selected to be in this amazing program? Uh, they came to me, I was just at work one day, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, they, they showed up and surprised, filmed me and let me know that I'd been accepted. Did they? How hilarious. Yes. Did you think it was real? Uh, it was, uh, yeah, but it was a bit overwhelming. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> I can imagine. And were you excited? Did you do like a happy dance? Is it yeah, like the yeah, uh, a little bit. like the contestants on Idol who get given the gold ticket to Hollywood? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. No, it was it was very exciting. So, what happens from here for you? From here, I continue along, uh, get all documentation through. Yep, and get all the details sorted. And then in February the nineteenth, I start the program. And so you fly, oh, you don't have to fly to Melbourne because you just no, lake just house. Train. You have to, yeah. to drive to Melbourne. Um, yep. But you stay in the city, don't you? Yes, Radisson on Flagstaff Gardens. Awesome. And then do you know what your program looks like yet? 
Uh, yes, I've seen the itinerary. Okay, and have you got a few things already that you think, oh, yes, this is going to be good, or is there, are there any elements that you kind of think are going to be a little bit um, challenging in a good way? Um, I hear the media trying, training is going to be excellent. To keep up on, sorry? <laughs> I hear the media training element is going to be excellent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah, exactly. Just trying to keep up on top of the learning, like taking notes as the master chefs go, because I'm not the fastest writer. Yep. Um, but that'll be challenging. But the the program itself looks awesome. Like I looks like I'm going to learn from every every step, going out to expensive dinners, um, yes. in fine dining restaurants that are all going to be awesome. Yes. Oh, that's so so exciting. All right. And so, well, if you had, I guess, a crystal ball and you could see into the future, uh, in your dream world. Where is there any sort of any other countries that you would like to work at some point, or any other chefs you would like to work with? I would definitely like to definitely want to travel overseas mm-hmm. and just do all countries like um, London, do most of Europe in France, Greece, mm-hmm. whole plethora of international experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say any country in particular, just just, yeah, just lots of travel, yeah. And that's the good thing about being a chef, isn't it? Is that you can yeah. literally pack up and pick up and just turn up and cook anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just anywhere. Where are you from originally, Jai? Uh, Southwest Rocks in New South Wales. Whereabouts, sorry? Southwest Rocks. Okay. Okay, it's and whereabouts uh, is that? It's halfway between Sydney and Brisbane on the okay. mid-north coast. And were you working as an apprentice chef there before you came to Victoria? Yes, I did my first year up at home. Okay, and what, what sort of a place was that? Uh, it was fine dining. Yeah? Um, still very simple, but... Fine dining. Okay. And uh, do you cook at home for your mum? Or when, uh, you, when no. you were living there? <laughs> I, I said I would, but I never did. Oh, how rude. Do you know what she's done for you? She got up at four o'clock in the morning and changed your nappies, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I think you owe her some nice food. <laughs> she got you, food every now and then. <laughs> how, how did you, at such a young age, kind of decide that you wanted to get into cooking? Uh, I'm not sure entirely. I've been in the industry since I was 12. Oh, now how did that work? Um, I just, I was working through a family business, just as a kitchen and mostly dishy. Right, okay. Um, so you've got family who have a restaurant? Uh, yeah, they, they had one a long time ago. Okay. Gosh, I can't um, get my children to even wash their own dishes ever, yeah, let exactly. alone doing it for a job. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I started that when I was 12 and then I moved to being customer service and a cook for four years. Gosh. Um, and then... During that, that's when I started my opportunity arose for an apprenticeship, uh, and I took that on, and I kind of just, yeah, had the passion for it, so I followed it on. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you a question now. It's quite a hard one, so brace yourself. If you're cooking dinner for me tomorrow night, just mm-hmm. say, just just pretend, and it's going to be three courses, what would you whip me up? Cool. <laughs> uh, scallops for an entree? <gasps> yes, please. And how would you uh, serve them? Definitely do scallops. You could do, what is it, summer? Uh, work something along the lines of orange and citrus. Yes, yum. Uh, to cook them, you just cook them, you could always cook them in like an orange glaze. Yes. Serve them uh, on a, like a little citrus sauce or salad, a bit of radishes, beautiful. Yum, okay. And moving on to Maine, that was delicious Maine. by the way. Uh, we go, I would take one of the dishes I did for my apprenticeship. Yep. I just do up a, like a Moroccan veal. Yeah. Eggplant relish and puree. Is it slow cooked? Yes. Yeah. Uh, sous vide for about thirty minutes. Ah. But you can you can increase this process if you need time. 
Okay, because I haven't got a sous vide machine at home. No, just just slowly cook it in anything. Okay. <laughs> and okay. then with the Mediterranean salad. Yum, that sounds delicious. And then obviously I'd have your panna cotta for dessert because that sounds yeah, fantastic. Yes. Um, I've just got non-tolaches but mostly in, a, in cocktail form. <laughs> Yeah, true. I'm finding they are so versatile and so delicious, and I, you'll be you'll be pleased to know, and I'll let you have this recipe if you want, Joe. But I whipped yeah. myself up a gin and tonic the other night. Are you even oh, old no. enough to drink? Yes, you are. Yes, yeah. Only just. Um, and I put pomegranates seeds yeah. and um, and a couple of fresh lychees in it. I muddled them slightly. Yeah. <laughs> and delicious. Oh, awesome. Yep. Awesome. So, you know, if you want to share that recipe, I'm going to let you. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, Jai, it's been wonderful having a chat to you. I'm very much looking forward to following your journey, Uh, not in a stalky way, but in a kind of, in an acceptable way (laughs) on the Fonterra Proud to be a Chef program because we want to see what happens. And also, I need you to make me a promise on air live to our listeners right now. Yes. When you become rich and famous and a very fancy, well-known chef... Don't forget us. I won't forget. I promise. (laughs) Great. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. This has been Jai Cockrum, who's an apprentice, who's going to be going through the Fonterra Proud to be Chef program. Thanks for joining us, Jai. No worries. Thank you very much for the time. My pleasure. And you're listening to What's Cooking. Guess who's coming to dinner with Nerida Conway. And welcome back to What's Cooking. Now, I've got, you know, one of my idols sitting next to me, which I always feel very privileged to have, Neil Mitchell, who really needs no introduction. It's but I'm good going to be to here. Thank you for having you. me. My pleasure. So today we're talking about um, Christmas traditions and holiday season traditions. And, I mean, obviously in your very rich tapestry and your rich career, you would have come across loads of different things that people do at Christmas time to celebrate. But what do you do with your family? What's What happens in the Mitchell household? Um, well, I go to the Boxing Day cricket. Yes. That, that's a tradition. Is that for I fun or are you working? I don't, well, it's a bit of both. You yeah. go to, I go to one of the lunches and it's quite good because you get to meet probably everybody you've dealt with through the year from yeah. the Prime Minister down. That's but right. I enjoy you have it. a very special fancy lunch, don't you? I do. I have yes. a fancy end of year lunch, which is quite a tradition that... That's uh, the day I finish on air usually. We yeah. have a lunch, about 50 or 60 people. And they're not just regular guests like me. <laughs> Some of no. them are very well known, aren't they? Well, the Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, <laughs> came. Uh, Kevin Rudd came. Julia Gillard came. Didn't talk to me, but she came. <laughs> Uh, the Premier usually drops in, the Chief Commissioner, sort of the people we've dealt with yes. through the year. Yeah. Uh, and does not, everyone get really, really intoxicated and tell each other what they no, really think? No, not really. I mean, <laughs> you'll find I, I work pretty hard until about four yeah. and I'll go and then I'll sit down and say, thank heavens, I have a glass of wine. Yeah. Everybody relaxes. The deal is nobody speaks except me. Yes. I mean, I'm asking some of the most senior politicians in the country and senior yeah. um, police and everything, and for them to go along and not have to do anything is a real yeah. treat. Yeah. So they come along, they do nothing. I get up and I go through every person in the room and bag Aww. them, bag them individually, <laughs> send them That up. should be recorded. No, no. And in fact, there's a strict rule that doesn't leak and it never has yes, really? in about 15 years. That's it's never amazing, leaked. isn't mm. it? But there have been some interesting times. A couple of very well-known people did drink too much and made yeah. idiots of themselves. I can imagine. If they'd been my staff, I would have thrown them out. 
Really? Because these days, don't they say, what happens in Vegas stays on Instagram, Facebook, right. Google? Nah, we don't we do not do that. But we do, uh, and usually it's pretty... Look, people will relax, and yeah, yeah. They, they probably wouldn't drive away from there, but they're not drunk no. in any terms. Well, I think that's the whole thing, isn't it? I mean, it's probably a little bit different for you because although everybody knows what you look like because, you know, now with digital media being the way it is, it's not just a radio show. We sort of see you. But there would be you could sort of get away with being anonymous if you wanted to. No. Um, I've been on TV for 25 years. I know, but I just sort of thought perhaps you could just sort of keep a low no. profile. But no. I get oh, in a cab, I get a lecture. Exor- oh, you would. So I go to sleep. I get in a cab and go to sleep. <laughs> It's the only way to handle it. Oh, no. And how do you shut down politely? From How do you shut people down politely? Oh, This is a life skill really. I need to learn. Like people really, on a plane. Most, most people are really good. I mean, there's a couple of politicians I've sat next to on planes oh, and I've sat down and looked at them. Oh, no. <laughs> and they're into you. But um, no, most people are really good. They're okay. really good. And if you if you just say, look, I'm sorry, I'm in the middle of something or you're trying, they'll get the message. Oh. A few, it's the abusive ones that don't. Yeah. And there's not and much that's, you can do about that anymore. Because nothing much can fix stupid abusive people like mm. that. Well, I um, had a bit of a plane trip from hell the other day and it sounds, it's clubbing a seal to say this because she was a really nice lady. But honestly, she was a poker. So oh. she sat and kept, po- I had earphones in because I was so shattered from a big, big day of meetings and all I wanted to do was just listen to music and just chill out. And she was just, I think, a bit anxious about being on the flight, but she kept poking me and saying, look, look at the cloud formation, look. And I'm saying, no, I can see. And I'd put my headphones back in and then she'd pull the earbud out of my ear and tell me something else. And the fourth or fifth time round, I was just almost there's a, there's snapping at her. a very simple answer to that. You know, you reach into that little area in front of you where they have those brown paper bags, <laughs> the sick bags, and you take it out and open it and put it on your lap. And within minutes, they ask to be moved. Oh, do you mind if I go and sit somewhere else? Works. Try well, I must say the only, the craziest thing I've ever done on a plane. Well, it's not a good idea to do crazy things on a plane. But there was a, a really creepy man, and he was really annoying me, and he was trying to talk to me, and he was just being inappropriate. And so I'd sort of said to the flight attendant, "Oh, look," and she said, "Oh, it's a full plane. We can't unless we swap you with someone. You know, you're sort of stuck there." And so I called over another flight attendant who hadn't met me yet, <laughs> and I said, "The man next to me, his mind vibes are worrying me." Oh, and she looked at me like I was stark raving bonkers and then moved me very suddenly. <laughs> yeah, put you in handcuffs. But yes. Yeah. It was still better. Yeah. <laughs> it would still be better. So back to Christmas. Back to Christmas. What are you doing Christmas Day? Christmas Day. We do have some traditions. The 3AW has had for many, many years a uh, uh, sort of a Christmas party for the underprivileged, nice. at, which is always at... Um, Stonington, one of the Stonington town, either the one in Malvern or the one in Paran. Mm-hmm. And uh, I usually go there. We uh, Look, I've got adult children, so if they're yeah. home, they don't get up early, uh, yes, which they right. used to. Do they still all get together Christmas Day at Usually. Your house? My, my daughter lives interstate, but she usually comes back. Um, nice. And partners? Uh, yeah, when, you know, there's a, when they're there's on a the passing scene. parade of partners, but yeah. when, when they are there, they come in. But uh, So I, we usually get up pretty early and go for a walk, or, you know, a bit of exercise if it's a decent day, take yeah. dog for a walk. I'll, hit, I'll start. Preparing some stuff, and then I'll go off to the uh, to the Christmas party for an hour or so and come back. But we don't eat until we don't start eating until probably one in the afternoon. Nice. And then we'll just eat until yeah. 
four or five and one meal. What's your specialty? Oh, look, we have all sorts of things. We usually begin with a, a seafood monstrosity Beautiful. of you know crayfish and oysters and all the. And do you have to fresh order them stuff. in advance because it's hard to get your hands on? I've got some very good mates at Claring Bowls at Pran Market. <laughs> I bet you do. How and good is that? I have a little that? deal about sneaking in the back rather than queuing up for four hours. <laughs> That's awesome. And, I'm going to uh, tell them my name's Neil Mitchell when I go there next yeah, time. They, they do great stuff. And we, we usually have that as sort of a platter of, uh, of prawns and crayfish and oysters and, you know, everything you can think of. Yes. Which should be enough for a week. And in the meanwhile, we're usually cooking cooking a selection of meats. Mm. I usually do some um, some pork on a barbecue Yum. or on, on an, an outdoor thing. Have you nailed crackling? About an 80% success rate. Okay. Yeah, you're never too sure. <laughs> never too sure. And we'll do a little bit of beef perhaps and some Yum. maybe some turkey or chicken. That sounds delicious. And then, then once again, I'm mean, having had the seafood. The rest of it's not ready until probably three in the afternoon. Yeah. So you really, and you know, you get to five o'clock. And dessert? No. No. Well, there's there's usually dessert available. But I wouldn't done it. I'm not big on dessert. Yeah, I'm not a dessert person either. I'm not a sweet tooth. And if you know, if you enjoy seafood and the other stuff, yeah. and lots of salads. My yeah. wife, my wife specializes in the salads. Does so she? Some ripper salads. Yum. Yeah. There's a really good one with uh, spinach and and pumpkin that's roasted to give it that sort of nutty flavour. Mm. And some, I think she put sesame seeds or something. It's really good. Delicious. But serve cold. Yeah. Well, that's the thing because it could be a 45 degree day or it could be seven. Yeah. We usually try to eat outside and you know, there's a bottle of champagne with the uh, seafood and then yeah. whatever's going later. Well, we just had, we were just having a chat to um, Ian Curley earlier and he was saying that he gets given during the year special bottles of champagne and wine for thank yous and for bits and pieces and birthdays and whatnot. And he says he collects up and saves the most special bottles and trots them out on Christmas Day. Yeah, I do the same thing. There's it's a nice certain idea. businessman who sends me a bottle of Dom every year. Oh, that's my my favourite. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Beautiful. And that, uh, in fact, I think I didn't use last year's. I've got two bottles sitting around somewhere. Uh, Well, if you need a friend to help you drink (laughs) one of them, I'm the girl. Good stuff. (laughs) Oh, look, thank you so much for coming in to have a chat to us. It's just lovely to find out what it's like for you and what you're doing. Well, have a good Christmas and it must be a challenge for you, though. Mm. When you're a food expert, everybody expects the best. Well, they do, and sometimes and they get it. sometimes my cooking's great, and sometimes it's terrible. But I have had to take up running, and I have had to learn to rein it in, and almost stitch my lips shut when it comes to eating everything on my plate because I'm a shocker, mm. and I love food. Oh, but I'm getting fat. I have to sort of remember Adrian Richardson, the chef, saying to me yeah. that he didn't get invited to many places because oh, people yeah. were intimidated cooking for him. Yeah, and he said the truth is, if I turn up, I don't care what it is or what it tastes like. I didn't cook it. That's right. So it's terrific. Yeah, and I've I've invited a couple of you know, incredibly well-known chefs to my house for dinner, and I just I've I've sort of mastered a couple of things, so I don't deviate from those. Well, I do a really great roast pork on the Weber. Oh yeah. And um, what was your trick with the crackling? Oh well, I actually I put it in the uh, in the Weber, and it goes you know all beautiful. But the uh, crackling's often a bit soggy, so Mm. then I peel it off and I take the pork off the Weber and I just put the crackling face down on sort of on the grill and give it another five minutes yeah. and it crisps up beautifully. Yeah. The problem with pork on the Weber I still find is that to cook it hard enough to get the crackling right, yeah. you over, you're cooking you've, too hard and that's the pork why goes got dry. To, that's why you've got to take the meat away, so take many, the skin off. How many bricks do you put on? Oh, probably, oh, quite, it depends on how big the size of the pork mm. is, but probably about a third mm. of the bag, so quite a few. No, you would put in more than that because you. you oh, I that's usually... just for a small one though. But if it's oh, big okay. pork, it would be half a bag at least. Half a okay. Yeah, it's you a bit of trial and error. Por- you don't count the bricks out. You got to count no, the bricks out. I don't. I just. Oh, I sort of just do a bit of a pour at the moment now because I know just from looking at it. <laughs> All right, we got to wind up. <laughs>
Have a great Christmas. Thank you very thank much you, for having Neil. me. You've been listening to Neil Mitchell on What's Cooking and thank you for listening. Curly Questions with Nerida Conway and Chef Ian Curley. And welcome back to What's Cooking. Back. You're back. back. I missed that movie. I'm going to get that. I want that on my ringtone. Well, I love it. Oh, that would be so funny. Put it on for when I ring you. So you can you can personalise it, you know, so yeah. that when I ring you, that's yeah. what you hear. I like it. Because we'll it makes you that. smile and we'll like, get that. all like dancy. So. How's your week been? My week's been really good. However, I've been in Tasmania. Yeah. So over in Devonport, which that was fine because yeah. I'm doing the Devonport Food and Wine Festival next year. I'm the ambassador for that's, that. And so they've got some beautiful produce there. in Tas, haven't that they? That is amazing produce. Mm. And I had the some great blue eye from tuna and the salmon and the whole did the whole tour of the salmon thing. Gorgeous. Great. And they got some fresh wasabi. I, I just had I had a great weekend. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. We might have to do a bit of a Tassie show up, up there at that time. We should do that. Mm. We should go over to Tasmania. Feature it? Yeah. Can I substitute soy milk for whole milk? Well, the whole point about soy is it's it's made up of something different. So mm. it's normally the dairy freeze and the uh, glutards and the fruitards <laughs> that don't like it. So the soy Drag thing. free friends. Yeah, the soy We're thing sorry. is you know, com- complete. It's more of a health thing and for people who are allergic to stuff. So okay. if you if you don't have an allergy to normal milk, mm. then why wouldn't you no- use normal milk? So you can switch milk. it in if the recipe says. Yeah, of course. So and also, yeah, I don't think there's much to do with baking. I mean, there might be a, a little bit of difference, but if it says soy milk muffins or whatever you're making or mm. whatever it is, I mean, ultimately, you're going to get more flavour from milk, aren't you? Mm. You know, and help the farmers out. Yeah, true. What about the soy farmers? Well, here's the thing. You'll find that these people, the people that want to do the soy milk and the and the uh, all almond that sort, and, and the stuff. almond milk and all that, they're they're the first ones to turn around about being natural and all that sort mm. of stuff. It's more processed the mm. all that sort of stuff than you well, that's know. That's true. Than squeezing yeah. a cow's udder. Absolutely. Mm. And so anyway, so it's, it's still pasteurised. Anyway, we'll get there. So we'll get there in the end. But uh, now, is Greek yogurt better than regular yogurt, and yep. what is the difference? Uh, there's less. Obviously, um, the Greeks make one. Yeah, but also they strain it, and it's all less. It's less sweet, so mm. there's no added, there's no added sugar to Greek yogurt. Well, it is extraordinary you say that. I went to buy some yogurt, just a well-known brand at the yeah. supermarket for my children the other day. Picked up the tub, and have never really bothered to look at the, you know, mm. sugar content on the back. Nearly died. Couldn't yeah. believe how much sugar was in it. Absolutely, yeah. Insane. So that's it. They sweeten them up. So mm. you got to have a. Uh, you got to have the the, the Greek yogurt. Like mm. That's what we see of our babies, and um, we go thick. from there. And so it's thick, and it's you know. How do you sweeten it yourself in a healthy way if your children won't eat the natural yogurt? Always honey. Honey, oh, yeah, of always a bit of good honey, and all that sort of and stuff. And some fruit, maybe. And some dates and stuff like that. I mean, all that. But you know, dates can mm. be a bit chewy. But you know, go you for could that. Pl- you could puree the great the dates, couldn't you? Uh, the problem with trying to puree dates is it stuffs your liquidizer, and you know the whole thing about all that sort of nonsense. Is yeah. You've got to clean the liquidizer. <laughs> now I know that people go, "What?" <laughs> no, it's that? true. I but hate you, cleaning those things. Yeah, and it's, we bought a KitchenAid um, blender because mm-hmm. Simone said, "Oh, you know, I want to do smoothies for mm-hmm. the kids." I'm like, "I'm saying, really? Yeah, yeah." And now it sits underneath because it's a pain yeah, yeah. pain to clean. Yeah. So I'm like. What about that? She said, oh, well. Just eat a banana. And it's the same with the KitchenAid mixer. Oh, if we got a, if we got a hook and a dough for that, I'd be baking all the time. She sits there <laughs> <laughs> smiling at us. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, will glass dishes shatter in the oven? And how do I know if they're oven proof? It will always say underneath it. Okay. They, I think it's by law they have to say uh, vitrified china. Vitrified means basically. You've heard it, of vitrified it, before? Yeah, you'll have a look at underneath. It will tell you if it can go in the oven, if it's been treated so it right. can go in the oven. In the same regard as that, there's something about, and from a danger perspective, and I know I see this a lot in, in pro kitchens mm. even, stuff goes in the oven, it comes out. You know not to touch anything. Yeah. You know, they used to, back in the day, we used to throw flour on something mm. to say it was hot. Mm. Now, you've just got to be careful. And you'll see, my always thing is, when I was being brought up as an apprentice, mm. you, in the kitchen, we used to have, like, we would wear our kitchen cloths mm. like, and tea towels like a glove yeah, so right. you wear it like a, a catcher's mitt from right. baseball so whatever anything was on the bench you always use that and then you just checked it and that's your default house. that's the thing yeah if anything goes in the oven you yeah. just got to be careful that when you bring it out because once the sudden temperature change it it, it affects the uh it's a scientific yeah thing. the glass It'll, expands yeah, or whatever right. and contracts and it, once you put it onto a cold surface mm. then it'll crack yeah you just be careful with stuff like that. So yeah, you've got right. to be very careful about stuff well, that hot trap, out the oven. The trap I fall into is, you know, when you pan fry something with the the oven-proof uh, non-stick fry pan, for yeah, example, yeah. Yeah. and then you finish it off in the oven. So I will often, you know, have my big fat pork cutlets and I'll pan fry them yeah. and then I'll put them in the oven just to bake them through a little bit further. Mm, well, I'm not a big fan of cooking meat and then in the when oven I, that's that small. when I pull mm. them out, you know... You, I pull them out with a cloth. I've done this twice. Mm. And in fact, a food stylist that I was working with did this once and got third degree burns on her hands. And then two minutes later, you forget and you turn around and you, because the fry pan's now sitting on your bench. Yeah, of course. And you forget and you go to grab it yeah. and the handle is red poker iron yeah. hot and yeah. you go Pss, and then that's it, hands burnt. Good cooks will, you cook, you seal off, you put it in the bin and it's gone. You know what I mean? Mm. You don't leave pans sticking around because one, it's in your way and secondly, mm. it's, you know, they're dangerous. So for us, and but also. So would you put them into a separate baking dish and put them in the oven after you fried them? Well, I don't cook um, anything that small in the oven. They're quite big fat, you know. Yeah, it's, it's I, no? I know how to cook. So that, do you? Well, I'm just putting it out there that maybe I'm I'm questioning you I'm, now. I'm, I would say perhaps, <laughs> maybe, just maybe, I would. Me personally, I'd probably bat them out a little bit more than you would. And secondly, <laughs> and secondly, I wouldn't rely on a, a chamber that's got really hot air to uh, cook my stuff for Wouldn't me. You? I'd like to look at it and go, okay, I know what's going on there. So you just keep pan frying it, even if it's a big, fat, thick pork steak. When you say pan frying, it's like gently cooking. Right. I would say not pan frying it. Okay, it sounds yeah, that's like, what uh, I do wrong. Well, <laughs> you, know, you know. I got. I make pe- it golden brown. Yeah, I just think that sometimes there's a whole thing about cooking. Is cooking really opening an oven door and throwing it in there and then 20 minutes later hoping for the best? No. Well, no, yeah, it isn't. That's, that's how I tend to cook. But we, 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 have, we have large <laughs> cuts of steak. For example, eight hundred gram piece of steak, which yeah, is quite large, yeah. and if it's a medium rare steak, it doesn't go in the oven at all. Really? It just gets done okay. like that. Okay. So for your pork cutlet, which yeah. is like your fishing, you describe it as huge, but it's not. And uh, it's like, well, huge. No. I'll have you know. No, it. Seal it in the pan. Just turn the heat down. Just wa- watch it there. Baste it with a little bit of butter. You'll be fine. <laughs> okay. Mm. All right. I'll give that a try. Mm. 
because I have burnt my hand twice now. Well, put a tea towel on the edge of it and there and then just wrap a tea towel around it or a little so, cloth yeah. around it. Yeah, like, so a lot of friend, my friends like in the kitchens, when they, they'll wrap a napkin around it with elastic bands and so that if you do pick it up, it's yeah. like that. It just reminds you, visual well, cue. It. You know, you'll burn yourself. It's like sunburn. Yeah. You know, you have sunburn once, Look, you won't do it again. Sunburn. You know? That's from three days ago. I never get sunburned. Yeah, well, look at it. You won't get it today no. either. Look, it's buckling down. <laughs> Crazy. Hey, Melbourne. We love you. Crazy. Um, okay, lucky last question before we have to wrap up because we're getting the signal. Uh, does adding salt to water make it boil faster? Well, yes. Never heard t- of this t- before. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 there's, and there's another fallacy. I've Me forever, mm. I've always put um, salt into water for green vegetables yeah. because they say it preserves the vitamin C. You don't think it draws out? No, I think it's really good for that. Okay. But since they reckon that scientific uh, tests have said that doesn't do anything. Mm. However, if you can bring broil water to the boil, you mm. throw salt in, it will cook quicker because mm. there's another solid in there until, okay. it, until it dissolves down. So, yes, it does. But also, mm. oil does the same thing. Mm. So, but... It's a habit from when I was like an apprentice that I don't season, change anyway. Well, I've been cooking 35 years. Yeah. I throw salt into the water. Yeah. People go, oh, I shouldn't even do that with a pasta cooker. Well, well, I've use, been doing it for years. Do you use veggie water? Like, for example, if I'm making a casserole or something or if I've got a few things on the go and I sort of just boil, lightly boil some veggies and the water goes a little bit green from the veggies. Right. I sometimes use that water in my... If I've got to add water to, to a dish, I'll use the veggie water. Yeah, of course, absolutely. It's yeah. flavour. Yeah, flavour. The, the, the professional would be nage. It's the swim. Like, so oh, to swim it's got in a name. France is called nage. It's a nage. vegetable stock. Right. But also, whenever you're cooking pasta, yeah. you always like dump the pasta in the water. And then when yeah. you lift it out, you add a bit of that cooking water to your thing. And it helps this, the starch water. It helps thicken the uh, yeah, pasta. Yeah, always. Right. I've heard of it. I've heard yeah. of that. I haven't done yeah. it. I will try. Yeah, that's right. It's amazing I'm not a Cordon Bleu chef by the time I've had all these tips from you. It's a bit like at home at my place. Like Simone will say, okay, so what are you doing? And I'll, and I'll cook a cutletta, for example, or a marinara. And she'll look and then she'll go, while I'm doing it, she's texting somebody or organising <laughs> something. For I'm like, you okay? I'll say, maybe you could do the next one. She's like, no, no, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely to chat yeah. as always. See you next week. We'll see you next week.